0: Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, yo? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I am your guy, Jay Hall, and I am here with a gentleman who is a senior sports and culture reporter with ESPN's The Undefeated, writes the intersection of sports, race, and culture. He's a regular panelist on ESPN's daily sports debate talk show Around the Horn, which I watch every day and I text him every time I see him. The creator and host of The King of Crenshaw, a 30 for 30 podcast on a late rapper, entrepreneur and activist, Nipsey Hussle. A graduate of um, Hampton University and Georgetown University, lives in Washington, D.C., my guy, Justin Tinsley. What's good, brother? First of all, you,
1: First you, of all, you are my guy.
0: And thank you so much for
1: having me on here. But... You know, in that introduction, which was brilliant for the record, that was a brilliant introduction. I, I noticed something that um there was a slight pause or maybe a slight quote unquote moment of silence when you just mentioned my my school, which is the Hampton University, you know. Listen,
0: brother, Um, you've you been doing this work for a long time. You know, sometimes you got to take a breath. And I just want to give... I just wanted to give Hampton Institute their proper respect. That's all. That's all. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, coming from a brother at Howard University, you know, I'm always gonna give proper respect to you. That's it. That's all. Now, hey now look, man. Hey
1: do you, you want to have a conversation, or are your listeners just about to hear an hour of Hampton <laughs> Howard banter? Because I mean, we can do both. I'm cool None ahead. of that.
0: None of that. You know. None of that. I'm here. Much, much respect. Much respect. How you doing,
1: brother? How you doing? I'm I'm good, man. I can't complain at all. Thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, wherever this conversation goes, I'm ready for it. We've known each other for a long, long time now. I think, yeah, we met through shout out to Jamel Hill. You know, yeah, um, you know, yeah, I mean, big says Jamel. For sure, for sure, it's a long time coming, man. Um, let, let's take the conversation wherever you want to go, even if it's Hampton Howard stuff, dog. I, I'm I'm with it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, um. I- I, I, we you and
0: I we met right before the pandemic shut, in. and you yeah. know during during that time, we all thought that we had just overcame the most challenging year of our life and boy, let me tell you I, that might have been the last time I've ever said anything like that out loud,
1: you know what I'm saying for me how
0: how you brother. been dealing with that brother
1: man so the the you know the wild thing is, and since we're talking about the pandemic right now, I just give you like a backstory of how I came to understand the totality of everything. So it's January 2020, right? And we had met a couple of months before that because we had met in D.C., correct? Yeah, it was yeah. the uh, Atlantic uh, Festival. Yep, yep, yep. So I yep. Believe that, that was around like <clears throat> fall 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point.
0: But, <laughs> um
1: So in January 2020, I was I was in Los Angeles. I was working on some stories and I had just signed on to work on Dwayne Wade's, uh, excuse me, photographic uh, memoir, Dwayne. And so we had met up in L.A. at the CAA offices and we just basically chopped it up and. Uh, uh, he told me his vision for the project and I was like, cool, these are my ideas. And like, we, we really hit it off and mesh well. So uh, shout out to Dwayne Wade, man. That's a really good dude. And it still trips me out to be able to say that, you know what I mean? Shout out to Dwayne Wade. But, and so that, that, that same weekend, it was also Grammy's weekend. And so I was working on a story about Richie <clears throat> Hustle, who I'm sure we'll we'll talk about, you know, later in the podcast, because he was getting honored for his first Grammys, uh, you know, all, albeit posthumously. That same day, Kobe died. You know, the 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 helicopter crash that, you know, unfortunately took the life of Kobe, Gianna, and I hate saying seven other people because those people have real, uh, those people have names, those people have families, those people have stories, and those. And those families are still grieving over them. So when I say seven others, I, I, I promise I'm not doing it to be disrespectful. I just don't have all the names off the top of my head. So when that happened, uh, I knew I instantly had to pivot. And I was supposed to come back home, I believe, the Monday after the Grammys. But I knew I wanted to stay in L.A. because I figured the Lakers would do some sort of tribute at their next game, which was supposed to be, I believe, against the Clippers. But they postponed that game. And so I came back home like that Wednesday and I, I'll be honest with you, Jay, even before all of this, I was the type of dude that would wipe down my seat on planes. I even wore a mask on planes because I would always get I would always catch like a cold on a plane. And I was like, Yo, I'm tired of getting sick whenever I got to travel for work. So that day I just happened to forget my mask. And I'm like, man, watch I'm gonna get sick. So I'm on American Airlines, and I'm, I'm gonna keep it completely a buck with you. I'm sitting in 35A. I'm sitting in the projects of American Airlines, right? And this is, this is the it's the big boy plane. So it's like, at least seats. it wasn't Spirit. Yeah, but at least it wasn't Spirit. At least it wasn't <laughs> Spirit. So it was three seats the aisle, and then it was three seats. So I had sat in my you know window seat. And I looked across the aisle, and I'm assuming this is a, a, a couple who was together. Bro, they were coughing up a lung. And I'm like, bro, I'm about to get sick. And they were not covering their mouths. So I'm real big on just like being respectful to like public spaces. I'm like, y'all, y'all, I, I could see if it was a kid. They were like six or seven, they're not covering their mouth. These are grown people, they had to be 40s or 50s. I ain't think too much of it. I land back at, at uh, DCA in DC and I check my group chats and my homegirl, Ashley, has sent a uh, screenshot of a tweet and she was like, first case of coronavirus found at LAX. I'm like, I'm like, damn. Mm. They, named a, they named a virus after a beer? Is, is it that serious? <laughs> and I'm, I'm being honest with you. I didn't, I'm didn't. i over here joking about it. like I didn't think it was that serious, bro. Literally three days later, I got like a crazy fever. Like I can't smell anything. I can't taste anything. But again, this is Febu- at this point is February 2020. I didn't know these were the symptoms for coronavirus. And then, you know, a couple of days later, like my girlfriend, who is now my wife, she starts getting like the crazy cough. And she was like, yo, I've been coughing for like two weeks. She was like, what's going on? And then by March, we went out to New Orleans for her birthday. This is like right before everything shut down. And we over here joking the entire time, like, oh, snap, the Rona around the corner. Like, oh, yeah, we about to be shut down for like two weeks. Bro, we had no clue what was in front of us. And we look back on that time in our lives. It's just like we we just had no clue. We had no clue that we're going to be basically sequestered from each other for almost two years. Yeah, brother, I, I,
0: you know. And depending on where you live during that time mm-hmm. was the seriousness of how you took it. Yeah. So one of my yeah. close friends lives in Florida. Homeboy been chilled. So Florida was just like, whatever. So he, he, he's chilled now. As you know, I, I live in D.C. We would walk around with the shirts wrapped up around our head. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I'll jog outside. You almost go way across the street because of the environment it was, it depended on who your powers would be and how serious they were taking it. But to your point, I think there was a time when we all kind of universally had this click of like, oh, oh, this is for real. Like, I really can't go to the store right now or I got to really look and see what's in my fridge. You know, I don't know what's going on. Oh, it's one person on the elevator. I'll wait. You know, those kind of moments that were happening universally, I think it kind of made us all change. And that was the time where so many things were happening, you know, George Floyd and everything else and we were all witnessing at the same time. And for uh, a culture of people where we're all doing things separate, we're always on our phones. It took us back. I like to say to like the eighties where we were all watching, It's like a plate to listen. We were all watching the Bowl at the same time for about a year and some change and depending on who you are and then some. So you're right. I think we all have those moments when we look back and I'm glad you're alive to tell that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'm glad we're here to have this conversation and, and, it it really started to hit home for myself and, you know, my, my wife and, you know, our friends, and I'm sure for you as well. It's just like, once you started to see those like death toll numbers just start to like, n- not even rise, they would like take Olympic size leaps like every day. And it was like, Oh, well, a thousand people have died from the virus. Then like two days later, it's like, 8,000 people have died from the virus. Then, like, a week later, it's like 40,000 people have died. Then you start to hear of the conditions in these hospitals that these doctors and these, you know, healthcare workers are having to deal with. And you're like, wait, whoa, this is not a, a joking manner. And then it really hits home uh, once you start to know people who pass away from the virus. Like, one of my best friends lost their grandmother uh, to the virus. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you're like, wow, like, this this isn't some thing that was here for a week and a half two weeks and then you know we went on about our lives like this wasn't like this ain't the mad cow disease this ain't e coli you know what i mean this ain't it you know it, it, it's really started to hit home and then like you said you 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 take the severity of the pandemic and then you take the the conditions in which um we felt like the government wasn't taking enough action to to go towards that and that's a that's another can of worms altogether. And then you start to take the, you know, Ahmad Aubrey, Brianna Taylor. And then, yeah. uh, you know, it 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 hit a peak with George Floyd because obviously the video. And it's just like, wow. It 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 was really one of those polarizing moments just in my life. It was like, yo, it is so much going on right now. And it's just like this is this is the state of the world that we're living in. And like, you know, my I I have my wife and I were expecting our first kid in January, and at some point we're gonna have a conversation about like what were you doing in the the spring and summer of 2020, and like what was it like to? Because I'm the type of person I always ask my grandmother like, yo, what was it like when you found out you know Malcolm X was assassinated or Martin Same. King was assassinated? Like, what were you doing at that point in time in your life? And sometimes. You got to lead them to it. It's like, all right, so this is, you know, February 1965 or April 1968. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. And so like, I look forward to having those conversations with my son to just really tell him, this is what life was like in the moment. Like you're going to read textbooks about it. You're going to read books about it. uh, At this point, you're going to read websites about it, you know, thing. so it it was, it was, it was, even when we have conversations about it, like right now, I'm just thinking about different things that I thought about that I saw that I experienced, and I'm like, I cannot believe that we lived through all all of that at once, and it just felt like bro it's it's never going to end, like we're always going to be stuck in the house you know yeah when when you mentioned that, and you kind of
0: helped me with what I'm going to next, the closest thing. That I had a memory of of everybody being unified and shook, but something happened before then. You mentioned Kobe Bryant had died, and that was already like, wow, Kobe died and the way he died and everything. And then we go into COVID. The closest thing I remember to that was when Aaliyah passed away mm-hmm. and the plane crashed. And then a few weeks later we had nine eleven. Right? And so you having this impact that is kind of these 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 mega figures that you're looking around and you can kind of see what's on everybody's mind with that. And with you doing the sports thing for a long time, but you also been doing hip hop thing for a long time. What hits harder with you? What was something that made you hit harder? Was it sports when you think of moments like that, or was it music, hip hop?
1: Man, I, I, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think honestly the answer is it's it's the same, you know what I mean? Because I remember so this was a little less than a year um before all, all this stuff with the you know the pandemic popped off. Uh I'll never forget I was just getting off the train in DC. I was coming from New York because I was covering Dwayne Wade's last game at the Garden on March thirtieth, twenty nineteen. And then almost as soon as I get off the train that Sunday evening on March thirty first one of my like best friends who I've known, like we went to, we went to Hampton together and he's, he was like the first dude I met from LA and he called me and I remember he's in he was in tears. He was like, yo, they killed him. They killed him. Like, what are you talking about? Like kill who? He was like, yo, they killed Nipsey. And I'm like, nah, nah, man. Like that, that's, that's, that, that didn't happen. And I just remember going out to, L.A. Like a couple of days later, and feeling like the, the 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 emotional temperature of the city and what that felt like, and then to fast forward almost a year, like bro, I was in, I was in the press room in Staples Center when I got the alert about the helicopter crash, and it, so it's like. For somebody like my job, I cover sports, I cover music, I cover the intersection of sports and music and pop culture. Like you already, I'm already there with a with a heavy heart in in a sense because you're covering a proud moment, which is like you know you're getting your first Grammy, but Nipsey's not here to see it, and you're writing about that. And then, like bro, I will never ever forget when I found out the exact moment. That you know Kobe and you know Gianna and you know the, the helicopter plane crash had happened. So I'm sitting in the press room at Staples and I'm working on you know typing some notes up for my story so I don't have to you know work overtime later that night. And my uh, you know my wife she texted me she was like Kobe question mark because she was at brunch out in D.C. and I'm like what are you talking about? I was too. I'm
0: like I'm like, <laughs>
1: I'm like, like Kobe like what about Kobe like. What, like, is he going to show up to the Grammys tonight? That'd be cool. Like, all right, bet. And I lied to you not, Jay. I look up. It was like a domino effect of, like, people just saying, I don't know if I can curse on here or not, but, you know. Yeah, you can. Go ahead. Oh, go okay. ahead. All right, bet. So it was like a domino effect of people. I literally heard just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm like, like what, what the hell's going on? Dude, I just happened to, something told me to, like, go to TMZ.com. Yo, front page, it was like it, it it was the headline. I'm like, nah. I'm like, nah, bro. ain't no way, man. Ain't no way this is true. So the first person I thought to call was my best friend, Brad. And he had been a diehard Kobe fan from 96 on. Like that is to to this day, that is the biggest Kobe fan that I know. And I called him and I felt I felt bad because it's like, bro, I don't want to deliver this message to him. Like, this is his man. You know what I mean? Like, we were at that point, we were like a year away from like him going into the Hall of Fame with KG and Tim Duncan. And that was going to be like this legendary class. I'm like, man, I can't wait to hear Kobe's like Hall of Fame speech and all that. And I called him. He had just stepped out of church. And I'm like, bro, I don't know how to tell you this. He was like, what? What's going on? What's wrong? Why you sound like that? I was like, bro, Kobe's dead. He was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, check your phone. He just hung up. He was like, I'll call you back and hung up. And it's just like, and, and all of this is going on while I'm in Staples, Jay. I'm in Staples. And I just Ooh. happened to I happened to turn and I could see into the hallway where the actual main stage, where the court is. But I'm so high up, I turn and I look and I see the the retired jerseys. And I lie to you not This is like at least three or four minutes after the news had broke is one of the eeriest things ever. I turn and look and the only two jerseys that are like highlighted are eight and 24. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? And I happen to look downstairs where the people, the the people who work inside Staples will now crypto.com. But at that point it was Staples, the people, you know, the the people who let you in through security. And I just see the people in security just like, they collapse and they cry because they knew Kobe. Like they, they worked at Staples for basically the entire time it was Staples. And so they got a chance to know Kobe more personally than I did. And it was just, it was one of the weirdest moments. So like when you ask me, like what's weirder, like what's harder to cover in moments like that, whether it's music, whether it's sports, I think they're both the same because especially for a city like Los Angeles, like to lose two icons of the city and you know yes in los angeles nipsey hustle is an icon you know what i mean and I, you always feel a certain res- i know i do you feel a certain responsibility to to get it right and say what that moment feels like because the you know how it is the longer you get away from a moment you know the dis- the discussions get a little different about it like you know what was going on when this happened like no I want when I write stories and when I produce things, I want to tell people what it felt like on March 31st, 2019 or January 26th, 2020. Like, no, it, it felt like the end of the world.
0: Is it moments like those that either happen worldly or in your own personal life? Is that what made you, Justin, want to be a voice in this, like to be a sports writer or to write hip hop?
1: Oh, most definitely, man, because, you know, I just uh, I just spoke about my grandmother and and I will always ask her, what was it like when, you know, such and such happened? When I first started driving, uh, I used to have to take my grandmother down to from Virginia to South Carolina to go see her brother who was in a nursing home for for a long for a long period of time. And I didn't mind because I always I love hanging with my grandmother, even to this even to this day. But I would always pack like I, ain't gonna lie to you, I would pack like 30 CDs. This is back when we had to actually take CDs in the car, which in the booklet, in the book, it, it, in, in, the book. in the booklet. <laughs> and my grandmother didn't care that, you know, I was listening to, you know, I mean, explicit, rec. She didn't know what they were saying anyway. And I'm like, the funny thing is, I would, I, would, I would always pack CDs. But from the moment we got on 85 in Virginia to go down to South Carolina, I never played any of those CDs, bro. Like we talked the entire time. Like, and I would just, I would, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was basically interviewing her about what she had lived through. You know, what was it like when you were 24, when, you know, Emmett Till was, was murdered, you know, what was it like when you first saw Muhammad Ali or or heard Muhammad Ali speak and things of that nature. And so I love how she would just like paint a picture. I'm like, yo, I want to do this. And like I would always get old Sports Illustrated articles or old like Vibe and Source magazines, Rolling Stone, just to read like what writers are saying, like how they describe moments. I'm like, bro, I ain't going to never make it to the NBA or the NFL. I ain't going to never have a platinum album because I can't sing and I can't rap. And I the only thing I know how to produce at the time is the clips grinding beat on the lunch table in high school. <laughs> so my, my musical prowess in terms of creating music is very limited, but in terms of being able to like, I always understood the power of storytelling, and storytelling is addictive to me, and storytelling is a way that I think you can live forever. you know what I mean? I think if you find the right way to tell a story, people going to always come back to that story and be like, oh, this is what this person's, person was saying at that moment when this thing happened. And I, I just knew, man, I was like, I want to do that. I didn't know exactly how I was going to turn that into a career. But I knew when I was like 16, 17, 18, just, just driving with my grandmother back and forth to South Carolina, I was like, yo, I want this because my grandmother would just paint like vivid, vivid pictures. And so, yeah, she she helped me in more ways than I think she probably ever realized. Now, your grandmother
0: definitely was your training camp. Which one was your first gig?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, my first gig. So even before I got to ESPN, I had been doing freelancing for uh, a long, long period of time. So I, I I would say the Smoking Section. So this is a blog that that was really, really popping. Uh, around like the late 2000s, early 2010s. And shout out to my man, John Gotti, who just recently started at, you know, Anscape, which is formerly The Undefeated. And my man, David Dennis, who has been, had been with us a, a full-time staff at least for well over a year. Like I started with them in like 2009. And I just, I was just liking to the right, you know, I was like, yeah, let me just get these thoughts off. Like I have thoughts on like music and sports and pop culture, politics, whatever. And I never forget. Gotti told me he was like, "Bro, I ain't gonna tell you how to write. I ain't gonna tell you what to write. I'm gonna just tell you to write." And he's like, "The more the more you write, the more your voice will get out th- uh, get out there, and the more people will uh, recognize your name. And honestly, the better you'll get as a writer and as a storyteller." Jay, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I took that. You know, it's, it's like it's like the Michael Jordan thing on the Last Dance, like. I took that person. I was about to <laughs> bet. I'm about to write every day. And and I was doing it for free at that point. You know, I'm still going. We're still dealing with the effects of the, the the recession. And, you know, I'm still struggling, trying to find a job. But I knew the one thing that made me happy was writing. And like I treated the smoking section like my full time job. And that's I, that, I would say that's my first writing gig. I had different, I had different gigs, like nine to fives that I hated. Well, I ain't gonna say hated that, that I didn't enjoy at that point in time. But my first writing gig was definitely the smoking section. Yeah,
0: when you talk about that era of blogs, I remember that yeah. rise. I, I was about to, you know, bust out laughing because I remember that era because I definitely had a, a, a ghost name. I used to write for dumb rappers need teaching was one of the blogs I had just started off. Uh, shout out to DJ Heat. She gave me my first, you know, writing piece when I was making the transition, you know, to radio and we were all like these digital voices. Uh, I think that's how Combat Jack got his name because, you know, he was a blog writer and and he didn't want people to know because he had been a lawyer and everything. So rest in peace and hell. So when you brought that up, that brought up a touchy memory for me because I remember that era when we, it was like the Wild Wild West. We were saying what we wanted, you know, Um, but it was genuine, you know, it was very authentic in, in what we had to say, but we was, it was definitely we we'll am gonna talk about digging some old tweets. You dig us some of the old blogs. Man. <laughs> bro, bro, like, I, man. I, woo, I just I just don't know. Um,
1: you know, you the mentioned the internet was a different place back then, though. The internet oh, was what? a totally different what? place. I'm not what? justifying anything, but the internet was a totally different place. <laughs> I I've learned two things from look,
0: when I look think back in that era. One is just to apologize and say you're right. Because I probably didn't know all of the facts or whatever, but it was just off my opinion. Like you said, it was the, it was the Wild Wild West at that time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, we both have a mutual friend, Jamel Hill. Shout out to her. Uh, she's always been my hero. When you were coming up in this game, I think people still don't really understand, like, how sports has been around forever, but hip-hop is still young. Mm-hmm. What would, Who were your voice heroes in that area? Because like you said, I, I felt you. I tried to ride around for a little bit, realized I couldn't rhyme. I'm like, yo, I, this is this is not for me. But I was all right. Who was somebody you look towards too to say, yo, yo, man, what they doing, I would love to do. The voices of that era, you were coming up here.
1: Yeah, man. That's such a such a great question. And um before that, you just mentioned Combat Jack. I wanna say rest in peace, Combat Jack. He's one person I really, really wish I I I, I could have had a chance to meet and, I miss you know, him. Yeah, man, I, I miss that dude. Something crazy. You talk about it, man. Rest in peace to that brother, man. I, yeah. I, I love him. And I love I love what his son is doing. Not nowadays, you know, just in the political in the political realm. So shout out to that entire family. Man, They got nothing. They don't know who I am, but they got nothing but love and respect for me. Um, Same. To, uh, To answer your question, man, that like. Like. Vibe and the source, in terms of especially like music, you know, like hip hop and R and B, like quote unquote black music, like those were my biblical scriptures back in the day. So you know, I, I I look at different names, like you know, and I was just blessed to call her my editor at one point, Danielle Smith. Um, yo, Elliot, yo, you know, Elliot, I mean? Elliot like go yes. gods, yo gods.
0: Yes. I, yes. I met Elliot at M B G and froze, bro. Because, yep. you know what I'm saying, he just, he just, I was just like, yeah, uh how, how you, how you, and I met rappers, singers, whatever, I met Ellie Wilson, Daniel Smith, man, and froze, son, like,
1: no lie. Bruh. like, they, they are, because it's one thing that, again, like, You tried your hand at rhyming. He's like, yeah, whatever. I ain't. I ain't gonna do that. There there was a point in time back in college where you know I recorded some songs with my friends and you (laughs) talked about some some stuff. I hope never see the light of day. I hope don't never see those. Not not because I was saying anything like super problematic. It was just like no, bro. No, that no, that don't need to come out. But like I was empty trash. Yo, I would, look, I would, if you was MC Trash, I was DJ Garbage. How about that? <laughs> we we could go on tour together for sure. Um, but no, like when I see people like Danielle and people like Elliot, like those were dreams that were attainable, or at least I thought were attainable. You know what I mean? And they were really telling these like beautiful stories about, you know, people who look like us about the music that like shaped, you know, our lives when so much of quote unquote mainstream America was looking at hip hop, was looking at R and B. And it was like, Oh, this is bad. We don't need our kids listening to it because of X, Y, and Z. And while, while it did have some parts about the culture that needed to be improved, like this was still us and they were speaking for us. They were telling our story. So, Yes, of course, Danielle Smith, uh, Elliot Wilson. Uh, I look at people like Kevin Powell. You know, I was a, I'm, I still am a huge fan of of Kevin Powell. Uh, in terms of like sports, you know, I, he was Ralph Wiley. You know what I mean? Like Ralph Wiley. Like you talk about a dude who could tell a story. Like he can make paint dry sound like the most riveting thing in the world. So, uh, you know, I would, I would, and it's so the thing is once you start naming names you're never going to name all of them, but there, you know, I, I look at those and I look at somebody like Stuart Scott on, on ESPN, man. Like he and my uncle, you know, rest in peace to my uncle who passed in um 1999 from colon cancer. But his big dream for me was like, yo, I want you to do exactly what Stuart Scott is doing. I want you to be like the young black man talking about sports on ESPN. I want you to be a sports center anchor. So I ain't necessarily a sports center anchor, but I do I, I do get to say that, you know, I get to go on there and talk about sports. So it's like those are the things that that really those are my North Stars. You know, like some people would like post like I would I would cut out articles from, you know, magazines and just save them in my rooms. Like, yo, I want to write a story like this. I want to write. Uh, a, a profile like this. I want to write a column like this. I used to. I, I used to tell Elliot Wilson the first time I met him. I was like, "Bro, you do realize?" Like, I used to work at this grocery store in Virginia. I, I, don't, I don't know if they had it in New York where you grew up. As a matter of fact, I know they didn't have it. It was food lion. You know what I mean? And I used to. <laughs> I used to sweep the floors. I used to mop the floors, and I used to always get in trouble because I would always get stuck on the magazine out. And I would just be there, like posted, just reading up stuff. So I would read the YN <clears throat> columns from Double XL. And you know, when I told him about this, I think he was kind of yeah. I'm sure he's heard it before, but you know, I was like, "Yo, thank you." Like you gave me, you helped pave, you helped pave the way for somebody like me. And I hope I can do that for somebody else. And it's just like, yo, th- those are they're they're legends in my book. And I don't throw the word legend around lightly either. Yeah, you're right. When I think about
0: the source, the hip hop bible, it changed my life. Back home in Detroit, we had a grocery store called Farmer Jack. And I'm looking at Scarface on the cover, sitting on a Ferrari. And I thought it was a car magazine. And come to find out, me grabbing that book changed my life. And you're right, seeing YN, you know. And his his editorials in the beginning was something I would look forward to because it it was full blast. Yeah. you know and, and and danielle and her interviews like you know with mary j blige because you know back then the people who don't know mary j wasn't known for doing that many interviews Mm-mm. you know what i mean in the game like that so when, when the people like that could sit down with these people and you and you trusted them you know you, there was no other oh well you know they're lying and like that like they they were credible you know and you're right they were pioneers in that so i yeah. mean when i when i when i think about that let was getting into your book because you know talk about legend as I sit here right now, you know what I'm saying? My guy, Justin, has written a bio on one of the goats, or the goat, as Lot would say, on Big. It was all a dream, Biggie, in the world that made him. Now, you know, just I I, I got a lot of love for you, man. You know, I'm always texting you when I see you do something because, I, seriously, brother, every since Jamil introduced us, I just always admired your journey and things like that. You know, I told you congratulations on you and your wife. You got married, all that good stuff. So first of all, let me just tell you I'm proud of you on the side note of that because this is not an easy mountain to, to, to do because you're going to face Biggie and Pac have been going now for about 20-something years. This is not something that is easy as some some may think in that sense to tackle that legend. So let me just tell you first of all, brother, I'm proud of you off that. Just period.
1: Thank you, bro. Thank you, man. Like And first and foremost, bro, I, I, look, I want to say thank you for real. Like, because, I mean, you know how much of a, a uphill journey that that can be at times. And, you know, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. Like, I was I was nervous as hell to do a book on big. You know, you would think, like, oh, there's so much information out there about him. But, yeah, that's also the thing that's scary, because, like, what do I tell people about Christopher Wallace about the notorious B.I.G., about Biggie Smalls that they don't already know because there's been so many books and so many movies and so many documentaries and so many conspiracy theories about him, his life, his death. And it's just it's just so much, man. And like recently passed, like the, the 26th anniversary of, uh, of Pac dying and or, you know, mid-September. And it, it, I, I knew Especially with, because the, the thing about this, Jay, is I didn't pitch this idea to my publisher. They came to me, which is which is completely opposite of everything I knew about the book. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Normally you gotta come I gotta come to you with the idea and then you decide like, uh oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's not do it. They they hit me up in like the fall of twenty nineteen basically saying like you come recommend it for some people we know and we're looking to commission uh a biography of Biggie. That'll, that'll come out in May 2022 to coincide with what would have been his 50th birthday in September 2019. When you hear May 2022, you're like, ah, oh, man, I got I got like a lifetime to work on this. And it's like, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. And of course, uh, you know, big is somebody who's very paramount in, you know, what I do and just even my entire life story. Uh I, I didn't know to go back to earlier. Topic of conversation that we had. I didn't know the whole world was going to shut down and I didn't realize that I was going to have to write the entire book and research the entire book and interview the entire book, basically within quarantine. So I I knew early on and all credit to my wife, man, she I, I was I was nervous. I was panicking, bro. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And you know, with the book, you get half of the money up front as the advance. And then you get the other half once you turn it in and they accept the submission. Jay man, I had I had already spent the 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 advance. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, ah man, what this is this is this is quite the pickle I've got myself in. Now, now you're a rapper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now,
0: just, now I'm a
1: rapper. It's just like this is this is like a this is it's, it's like one of these it's a drug deal going bad. Like uh, I ain't got the product, but I already spent the money, so it's like I'm like she was like, yo, just you don't have to write a traditional biography of Biggie, but just do what you always do and try to contextualize his life within, you know, the topics that you want to talk about. And and she said the words, she was like, "Yo, humanize him." And to go back to somebody like a Danielle Smith, that's what I always appreciated about her work. And you mentioned about the stories that she's done on, you know, Mary J Blige or Whitney Houston or just, you know, I mean, it, it, every story she does she does this, but definitely when it comes to like black women and music, like she really shows like the entire scope. And I'm like, yo, I want to do this with Big. And I know with Big, it was like, I don't want this to just focus on. I don't want it to be born in Brooklyn, sold some drugs, beef with Tupac and then died. Yes, those are those are definitely important parts of the story. But, you you know, for anybody who's ever read the book, it doesn't, you know, You got to go at least almost 200 pages before we get the ready to die. You know, and and that was important to me. So I just wanted to humanize him. I wanted I wanted to humanize Christopher Wallace as much as possible because Biggie Smalls and the Notorious B has been Notorious B.I.G. has been seen as this basically folk hero at this point, which he is. But you can be you can be you can be human and a folk hero all at once.
0: Oh, no. Um, you're right. Because the first 200 pages could have been a story about Christopher Wallace growing up on the street selling crack, going back to North Carolina alone, mm-hmm. you know, having his first child, you know, with Janice. And, you know, shout out to you for, you know, for tracing that. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm somebody, too. When it comes to my legends, I don't care who you are. You can be my best friend. I'm a, I raise the eyebrows. So when I've heard news of this, I'm like, Jess, what you what you about to do, yo? Easy bread? Like what, is, like, what is what is this? What am I going to hear about Biggie that I haven't heard before? And I gotta admit, first of all, and, and me being this this hip-hop geek, I did not know big stood for business instead of gang. <laughs> so I'm just gonna confess that, right? And, and I totally too. right, and I totally forgot. I think I knew at one point, but I, I totally forgot that my deep names at first was poetical prophets. Mm-hmm. But I did not know when you think about it, I like how you trace how puff passing up on them or missing an opportunity to sign my beat is what had him so antsy to look for the next star. Hence, how Maddie C. connected him to Big, yeah. and like that right there. When you mentioned in the book, the one thing I was I was liking, I was I was going in. You did a really good job of how the world was making these decisions and changes, and how it affected this young Christopher Wallace. I mean, just to go back for a second, when you just talk about how uh, Miss Wallace when she comes to America, that American dream that she had, but when she gets here, all of the American figures like men at um, the time were either murdered, Malcolm, MLK, or they were losing. Like and Ali had just lost to Joe Frazier, which you mentioned. And then I think about that, and I think about how there's a lack of male figures, and then Biggie's father's not in his life. And then he's sitting on this stoop, as you pointed out, and he's just watching over there on Fulton. When you think about that, as you technically now are a father, and you're about to become a father, 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 father's father, like on. Well, What runs through your mind when you was going through that process? Because we hear that story before. You know, hip hop has always talked about how my father wasn't there, my father wasn't there. But there was something about, I don't know, as I was reading this and I I know your story a little bit, it was something about it that was hitting a little differently than a normal story of like the father not being
1: there. Yeah, and and, and I I, I never, of course you have to tell the story about You know, young Christopher Wallace never really having a relationship with his father or never really knowing who he was. I think the last time that his father saw him, I think Chris was and I and I say Chris uh, with intention because at two years old, he wasn't Biggie Smalls yet. You know, he was Christopher Wallace. So I think that was the last time he saw him. And I just thought because I'm a I'm a history nut, too. And I start to piece together like, okay, well, this was going on at this time and this was going on at the same time. And I'm not saying that they were directly <clears throat> influenced by one another, but like when you live in a world where all these things are happening at once, it, it 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 impacts, you know, your life experiences and how you grow up and how you internalize and process and and give back to the same world that you're living in. So I, I look back on things, you know, like people were like, oh, yeah, big sold drugs and like, yeah, he sold drugs. But and again, this isn't to give him a pass because I'm not I'm not giving him a pass in the book. But like if we're going to talk about big selling drugs in the 80s, we got to talk about, you know, the, the, you know, New York. Damn, near going bankrupt in the late 70s, you know, and how that stripped you know, arts and cultural programs out of these schools and how to basically get that type of experience that you could uh, normally have in a school. You had to go to like these really affluent neighborhoods to go to these nice museums, whereas in the neighborhoods that Big and his friends grew up in, you know, those resources were stripped. These these, you know, these communities were over policed because, you know, this is where a lot of the drug dealing was going on. And it's just, um you can't talk about that without talking about like from the top bottom from the top down you got to talk about you know the war on drugs in america you got to talk about reagan's the reagan administration's policies you got to talk about like how the, the the new york police department intentionally over-policed these black communities because they knew this is where they could juke their numbers the most to basically basically make it look like they were fighting crime you know you got to talk about like all of these type of things man all of these things matter whether a young Christopher Wallace actually knew this stuff was going on uh when he was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old there this is the world hence the title of the book biggie in the world that made him like <clears throat> made by a bunch we're made by the collection of life experiences that we go through and the things that we're forced to survive and these are the things that you know Uh, an entire generation of young black boys and girls were forced to survive if you were lucky enough to survive to begin with. And so when you get to that part of the book about ready to die coming out on on September 13th, 1994. Yeah, that's big because no, no pun intended. That's big. Yes, it is big, but I mean, it's one of the most popular and beloved hip hop albums of all time, but literally on that same day, the 1994 crime bill passed. And we we understand the legacy of that 94 crime bill. And so when you start to realize, like, I can go, I've always enjoyed Ready to Die by Biggie Smalls because it was, it felt like a really graphic, intimate, and uh, combative portrayal of the world that he was, you know, living in at that point in time. But then when you <clears throat> juxtapose that with the 94 crime bill, it's like, that's basically Big's response to, you know, Capitol Hill saying like, "Oh, we need to do this in these communities." Like, yeah, you keep saying that you want to help us, but here's the reality of what we're having to survive every day. Like, I'm living through hell. I live in the gutter. I want to survive so much that I'm willing to do whatever to survive, even if it's, even even if it's, I'm willing to say like, I'm ready to die to make sure I. Can make money for my family, or keep money in my pocket, or keep food on my table, and I'm just like, I don't know if people have really talked about Biggie Smalls and that type of like socio political um, nature before, and I was like, I felt like if I could do that in the book, then that would be a different way of talking about this this legend of legends.
0: Yeah, because when you think about the 94 crack, uh, I'm sorry, the 94 crime bill that passed. I also think about how in the 80s where Big was coming up, the, the crack laws were passed. Yeah. You know, and that's something that you mentioned in the book, too, because you talk about the crack era, Willie Horton. And I still don't think that our culture understands how much of an impact the 1988 presidential election had on our culture alone you had the rise of bill clinton who spoke at the inauguration for the democratic convention you had the willie horton you also had the the cop that was killed in queens yep you had all of these things that infected our culture within that and these laws and you did a really good job of of tracing that but the one thing that i feel like that gets lost and you mentioned it was also the capitalist part because they were what was the 80s selling us yuppie business suits looking nice So Big is sitting on his step every day and he's seeing the only men in his life that are looking about something or have identity are the ones that are selling crack within a bird's eye view. What is it? What is it that you think is so hard for America to really understand that connection that we see so clearly?
1: I I think it's really hard for America to understand or Really see themselves in the conditions that a lot of these people have have to grow up in. You know, we, we you just mentioned the eighties and like what was you know glamorized back then. A uh, uh, one of the shows that like Big and like so many people in his generation could look at to see what quote unquote success looked like. Look at the show like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Like that came on, you know, basic television, and it's like, oh, look at this person's house, look at this person's car. Oh, this is this person is to be respected in society because they have access to this and that and the third. And so, like, if you keep hearing it inundated over your head, like, oh, you got to have money to do this. You've got to have money to do that. Uh, that's that's where that desire to achieve that sort of, quote unquote, comfort in your life comes from. And, you know, that's the thing about capitalism. It will it will make you believe that you have to get money by any means necessary to find some sort of happiness and peace. And like, oh, well, I've made it type of like ethos in your life. And they will drill it over into your head until it's not productive for the other side to view you as such. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, well, you need to go get money and you need in like. You need to make this this type of money to drive this sort of car, to to buy this house or go to this school, but you know, like you're not gonna make that flipping burgers at McDonald's in 1987. But it, what and what do you think somebody's gonna do? Do you think they're gonna go like sell fries at, at the local like at, at the local McDonald's or slice slices of pizza, or you or, or they gonna go out to the corner and make twelve hundred dollars a day? You know what I mean? Whereas twelve hundred dollars would take. Months at that point in time, and but the thing is, you people are always going to do that because we we live in a society where instant gratification is is so valued, and you're going to get it by any means necessary, and that 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 is one of the ills of capitalism because it will tell you to value money, but the value and money, value and success by any means is 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 a is a deadly deadly trick for a lot of people because yeah, you could do that. But ninety-nine point nine nine percent of people who decide to do what Big did when he was I ain't gonna say ninety-nine point nine, but like the great majority of people who decide to do what big did when he was a teenager and step off of his stoop and step on these corners. The story doesn't end well. The story doesn't end well. But you know what? The quest for money never ends. The quest for like this this insatiable desire to be successful by any means never ends. And that's what America has always presented itself as. This land of milk and honey, the land of the free, home of the brave, has <clears throat> never been that. It's the exact reason why, Valletta, like you mentioned earlier, Valletta Wallace came from Jamaica to America because the brochures that she saw in America <laughs> was presenting itself as something that it's really not. And I think that's the reality of this country. It's like we will sell ourselves for something that we're not. But by the time you get here, and by the time you really get your your feet on the ground, it's too late to turn back and go the other way because now you're in the rap race. Now you're caught up in the in the for the for the love of money. And look, I love that song by Bone Thugs, but <laughs> uh, yeah. nah, that's a that's a classic. And
0: also, you have a chapter about you know the decision. Streets of rap, and as I was yeah. reading, that, I wanted to ask you. Do you think that is a decision specifically when it comes to black males that we have to make? We're big. It was either streets or rap. But it always feels like in this country in America, at least from my personal experience, that I had to make this decision, whether I was an adult or not, whether I was technically Mm -hmm. prepared for it or not, that was going to change the trajectory of my life. Yeah. Do you feel like that's something that applies to us like specifically?
1: You know what? Jay, like, I don't know if it applies to us specifically, but I can only speak from our perspective. That's the only thing that I know, and it's not the same for everybody. But I, I, I knew when I graduated from high school, I, I, I knew I was like, all right, I could either do this or I could try to pursue something that's different from what I've seen a lot growing up, and I couldn't do both. Like, I couldn't stay at home and like kick it. With you know people who I've been kicking it with my entire life, I had to go to college and do this to to create some semblance of a life that I didn't even really know what I wanted at that point. But I, I look back and I see so many different examples of you know one of my best friends. He's he's basically been locked up. I'm thirty six now. Like he's been locked up basically from the time we was like seventeen. So like half of our lives, even more than half of our lives, we do mathematically like. He's been like a product of the state. And I look back on, you know, certain decisions that we made, uh, that I made, that he made. And um, unfortunately, like we we've gone, uh, we still keep in touch and we're still really good friends. But it's like his life went one way. My life went another way. And I see so many different examples of that just from, you know, talking to my friends, talking to my family members. And it's just like. Yeah, you do have to make a choice because you, you, you can't straddle the fence when it comes to what you want out of life. Because if you straddle the fence, you're going to fall. You know, like there's no way you can straddle the fence for the entirety of your life because ain't nobody got that good a balance. You know, and you got to make a decision. And sometimes you got to have you got to have foresight. And foresight is one of the hardest things to obtain because it's so easy to make a decision based off what's in front of you at that moment. And I can't really knock people for doing that. But yeah, like, uh, of course, my situation was different from bigs. I wasn't selling drugs or anything like that. But I also knew that if I wanted to just stay in the present, then at one point, man, that present was going to be the past. And I had no clue what my future would look like if I stayed in the present. And I just had to bet on something that I couldn't even see for myself. And I think that's what you know, big had to do in the book. Uh granted, yes, he was uber talented as as a as an MC as an artist, but he was making a lot of money on the streets. But he also knew that there ain't no 401k plan in this. <laughs> there, ain't there, to, there ain't no retirement plan by by hustling and moving weight. Like it's it's only gonna end one or two ways. Either you're gonna be dead or you're gonna be in jail. And you gotta know when to pull yourself away from that before you get pulled so far into it that you can't do anything else yeah
0: um i had a big homie who's been there since 95 when i look back on he was a big homie he was only 18 and he's literally been in he's literally been in there since then like you said it's a story that is so similar that we no matter where you from we all can you know relate to it i I don't want to get too much of a book away i'm just gonna say my highlights of it i like how you talk about the relationship between big and pot because you you mentioned some things in there that I want people to kind of read about because you really do a dive into their friendship, you know, and you also talk about your experience when it came to meeting CJ. And I think now I will say, I do think in bios that's something that's kind of missing because Big and Pac, unfortunately, have been gone for so long. We're now at the point where um, with Big and his two children, both of them have lived longer than he has now on this planet. And you kind of, you kind of go into that. So I, I definitely want to say, because um, I got one last question to get you about it, but I definitely want to encourage everyone to go out there, buy the book, Biggie. It was all a dream, Biggie in the world that made them. It was a, it was a great read. Um, I'm going to be texting you some other stuff about that when I let you know. <laughs> but it was, it was definitely a, a good read on that. Um, before I go, man, I got, I got one of the most, I got two hard questions. One, I think you can really answer. How difficult was it for you to talk about how great the uh, University of Howard was in your own book? <laughs> you know what I'm about to hit this
1: leave button right now I'm about to get out of here that's you know you ain't got to answer that. that that's the one um, people I, I do kind of want to answer you want that to? Yeah, I, do. Okay, go I, do. Ahead. I mean look I, I'm not one of those Hampton Howard people who treat this as like you know a blood war, you know, what I mean, it's all love for me at the end of the day. I love it. I got so many of my really, really good friends who, who went to Howard and we still have fun about it to this day. But, you know, when you're talking about big and you got to talk about Puff and how can you talk about Puff without talking about Howard? And how can you not talk about like the culture of black America, especially the young black America and especially in the late 80s, early 90s? When it came to Howard, like I would be I wouldn't be doing my job as a journalist if I didn't cover Howard in the light that it should have been covered. Now, as I write, as I go through all of this, I'm like, dog, my my Howard family ain't going to never let me let this shit down. I'm like, I got to hear this. I got to hear that. But it was just like, look, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it 10 times out of 10.
0: Well, much much appreciate your, your your answer on that. I'm pretty sure some alumni will, and I, I'm not I'm not really that either. I just like teasing <laughs> you about it, honestly, because I, I really not honestly, Percy, I, I really hate Ohio State more than <laughs> I hate um Hampton. To be honest with you, my baby sister went to Hampton, like, but you, sure. now if you was from Ohio State, our relationship might be a little bit different. But a lot of people who probably don't know or shit know you are a huge Nipsey Hussle fan. Yeah,
1: yeah. so
0: I want you to name me five Nipsey Hustle records that you love. I'm, I'm going to start off. I'm going to start off. Mine, number one, in no order. Mine, um, Status Symbol 1, Status Symbol 3, Status Symbol 2, Shell Shock, and Victory Lap. Those are my five Nipseys. What about yours, Ooh. brother?
1: Okay. All right. And, and and for that, I won't name any of the songs that you name. I love all okay. of those. I see you're a big fan of the Status Symbol series, which is great. Uh, I Huge. will go, I'm going to go Check Me Out. That, that was my jam. I'm going to go Blueprint. The the song he did with Davies and Beano Rideau. I'm going to go Blue Laces 2 from Victory Lap. Uh, I'm going to go, ooh, there's so many I want to do. Oh, Thug Life from his Slauson Boy 2 um, record. And a fifth one, ooh, got to make this a good one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Hustle and Motivate. Okay, okay. Since this is about big, we're gonna end it with big. My
0: five bigs is you're nobody till somebody kills you, ready to die. The actual song, me and my Bitch, hypnotized because he shot out Detroit and suicidal thoughts.
1: Oh, yours man. to get uh, us up out of here. All right, all right. Uh, sky's the limit. I'm going sky's the limit. Uh, I'm gonna go things done change from ready to die. Whew. Uh, I'm gonna go the one more chance remix. Um the, the, the one video I always wanted to be in. Oh, oh <laughs> so, to here, I'm gonna say this. Yo, one of these days I'm gonna rent a Brooklyn brownstone and we're gonna recreate that video. So call your role right now. Like we're gonna recreate um, the entire video. I, I just I just wanted to be the brat
0: when she was uh, doing that.
1: Hey, look, you call your role, you you it. All right. So I said uh sky's the limit, said things done change." said one more chance to remix. Uh I'm going to go. Uh, my downfall. Ooh. That that drone that was hard. And uh going to go everyday struggle. Okay. Yeah. That's good.
0: Yo, my brother, it was an experience, man. I appreciate you. Best wishes to you, the wife, the little one that's coming. Much love to you. Appreciate I know you. Bro. I know you're gonna be an excellent father. Shout out to in your journey, you know, with this book. Also make sure you Check out the um, 30 for 30, the King of Crenshaw podcast narrated by my guy. Anything else you got coming up we need to know before you leave?
1: Uh, I can't really say too much on it right now, but I got a big uh, project I'm working on for the start of the NBA season. And it's something I, I, I've had in mind to do uh, for a couple of years. So it's a multi-part like written series. I'll I, I'll say that for right now. Okay, well... well we, we can talk about it offline. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: just, just just know that this door is always open for you. So anytime you want to come over just promote anything yeah. like that, we can always get into that. Because you know, this was like your introduction to let everybody know, you know, you've been doing this thing for a minute, my brother. For sure. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, please, 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 you know, and, and also, too, anything that I can do to help you, we're always willing to help you over here, too. Let us know. Most uh, of How we can assist. You know, much appreciate you. That was good. That was good. Shout out to everyone that checked out this episode of History Being Black. Podcast. I feel like my Blackness has been elevated. I know Justice's Blackness has been elevated. I'm pretty sure the producer, Ghost's Blackness, has been elevated, and hopefully yours has too. As usual, you can catch me on all social media platforms at J-Hall Society. Be blessed for us, successful, and we'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay hall Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black Podcast on IG at the History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O Line Media Podcast Network on IG at mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black Podcast is a Mean O-line Media production.